Well, good morning. Um, I, I, I pass greetings from Emmanuel Baptist Church uh, back in Nairobi. You, you get to hear what you guys. We are grateful for. I have not turned this on, have I? Sorry for that. There we go. Uh, we are grateful for the partnership we have shared in the gospel. Um, there is no better thing than to, um, to serve the king. Um, of all the things going on in the world, of all the little projects you and I might be engaged in, there is only one that has been guaranteed um, success. And the kind of success is, is ultimate and is eternal. And um, I'm privileged, and we are privileged, to be in that cri critical work um, together with you. We are especially thankful that you have not only um, f supported us financially, but you have also given of yourselves. You sent us one of your own, um, James Locke and his family, Marie um, and the kids. And they were with us in Nairobi for, um, for three full weeks. And um, hear it from us, uh, uh, short-term mission trips are not always uh, the greatest of blessings to the people who um, host them. And, and yet, this family found a way to be such a blessing to the Mbugwas and to the Pitsleys as well, um, whom they were there to visit. And they, they very intentionally, thoughtfully, sacrificially um, cared for us. We, we developed meaningful um, um, friendships. During that time, Marie spent meaningful time repeatedly with my wife, and that was of great encouragement to her, um, as did James with myself. We had conversations about the work. I received great counsel. Um, wise insights into the work that we're doing, uh, the, the kind of insight that we have received now from you um, through them that would not have been possible if they had not taken and sacrificed the amount of time that they did. And um, we now, as the Mbugas, can actually say we, have, we actually have friends, not just uh, merely partnerships, and we know some of you increasingly much better, and now even with this family, we uh, we have received the, another gift that is relational. So we're actually vacationing this particular week together. Uh, we shall be leaving town tomorrow. So uh, we cannot thank you enough for the way in which you have loved us um, and cared for us so well. Acts chapter 27. Um, as you have already heard, the, the title of the sermon today is Safe and Secure um, in the Storm, the Providence of God in missions, the providence of God in missions. Um, the, the book of Acts in the section we are reading is coming to an end. Uh, Acts, like any other book of the Bible, is, is not just a compilation of random stories that have been put in and shaken together and we can come in and get a, a verse for the day. Uh, or rather an, an encouraging point for today that we can maybe stick on our mug and, and move on. The, the, the narrative is cohesive. It is intentional. There are, there are no random, pointless details that are put in it. And I'll have you observe that the, the way, the grand story of the book of Acts, the, the, the outline that was given to us of a gospel that is moving from Jerusalem to the ends of the world, the way, the way that narrative comes to an end is with a story of a storm. It's a problem. It's a problem. Well, 
the goal has always been to get to Rome. And, and as the portion begins of scripture here, it, it says at the very beginning, and it was decided that we should sail for Italy. It was decided that we should sail for Italy. I, I didn't give you the main point that I'm, I'm seeking to convince you of. Sorry for that. The, the main point I'm seeking to convince you of in this morning's sermon is, is that in our call to advance the gospel to the ends of the world, we can take courage in the face of difficulty, for everything will work out exactly as God has determined. That's where we're headed with this. That in, 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 in our call to advance the gospel to the ends of the earth or the world, we can take courage in the face of difficulty for everything will work out exactly as God has determined, exactly as God has determined. And so here the journey for Paul begins, his journey to Rome. And he begins by telling us, and it was decided that they should sail for Italy. Well, it's important for us to note that Rome is a critical part of the grand narrative of the book of Acts. And a question that you could ask yourself at this stage would be, who is it that has decided? Who is it that has decided that Paul would sail for Italy? Well, Paul has been in Jerusalem in prison for up to two years. He's been moving from one court case to another court case. In his last court case, he appealed to Caesar. And the declaration was, to Caesar you have appealed, and to Caesar you shall go. So, it could be said that Paul decided, since he appealed to Caesar. Or it could be said that the, the judge or the proconsul decided, for he's the one who responded by saying, to Caesar you have appealed, and to Caesar you shall go. Or you could say that the availability of a ship to actually get him there, or Julius the centurion who was in charge. Was, there's many places you could go to to say, these folk have decided, and yet the book of Acts has been very key to point us to, a, to a, grander, a grander controller of the narrative. Go back to chapter 23 and verse 11 for me and, and, and see how what's beginning here was predetermined long before it was humanly decided. In chapter 3 and verse 11, Paul has been in Jerusalem. He's been bearing witness to the facts concerning Christ as he had determined back in chapter 20, he set his face for Jerusalem and he had moved from city to city. And in every city he had gone to, it was only persecution that was prophesied that was waiting for him in Rome. But that's where he famously says that it, to me it is nothing if he loses his life. Only, Paul says, that he would have the chance to bear witness um, to his Christ. And so he's gone into Jerusalem and things have been as bad as they were prophesied. Remember Agabus, who came and he tied himself with his belt and told him, this is what is waiting for you? Well, that came to be in Jerusalem and he's been tossed in prison. Things are pretty bad in prison, but the, the night after he's imprisoned, God shows up and in 23.11 says, the following night the Lord stood by him and said, take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. So who decided Paul would go to Rome? God did. A long time ago, um, uh, four chapters ago, God had already shown up and told him this. 
it's, it's actually a couple of years have passed since God said this. So when you're beginning this narrative and it is saying it was decided, the author is, is quite cleverly here wanting us to see both the human side of things. You're not going to hit another, a, a more ordinary tale than this. Ordinary in the sense that it just seems like random stuff is happening. The sun is shining, the wind is blowing, and we are sailing type stuff. It doesn't seem like every sentence is loaded with spiritual meaning. And yet, what the author wants us to see is, yes, in that very ordinary occurrence of life, I was going to the shop and a car showed up and bumped me, or, and they did not have milk, or the baby fell sick in the ordinary day-to-day -day lives that we live. God is not absent. There's, there's a God behind all things that transpire in our lives that has determined exactly how things will transpire. For your own benefit, you can go back to chapter 19 and verse 21, where you will find Paul resolving to go to Rome. And you can also go all the way back to the very beginning of the book of Acts and see that this story is important in the grand narrative because there Jesus in 1.8 speaks to the disciples and calls them to this task of bearing witness concerning him in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. And the narrative of the story has been going that way so far. The gospel began being proclaimed in Jerusalem, and in Judea, and in Samaria. And then the Gentiles have been hearing it now as it has been spreading. And as the book is coming to an end, it's wanting to point us to the, to the farthermost part. It's gone to the very capital of the world, Rome. The book is going to end with that. Will the gospel get there? Well, let's keep reading here and see what the story is going to highlight for us. It told, tells us here then that uh, and, and when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in a ship of the Adramitium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. Let's put up that map that's going to help us out uh, with just kind of tracking with where they have begun their journey and where they are going. Well, the narrative tells us here that as they begin, Julius does a favor to Paul. He, he, he acts kindly towards him. He, he treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go and see his friends that he cared for. It's a narrative, grand narrative here telling us that Julius liked Paul. I don't know why he liked Paul. He might have liked Paul because Paul was kind of like a father figure. Paul reminded him of his favorite high school teacher. I do not know why. It doesn't tell us. Simply tells us Julius liked Paul and treated him kindly. That's basically what you're told. Very important in the way in which the gospel actually gets to Rome. That is key. I tell you this early. If Julius had not liked Paul, Paul would not have made it to Rome. Skip that in mind as you're reading through this narrative. Well, the journey begins and... and and it says in verse 4, putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus. So wind is blowing here towards 
um, towards land B because the winds were against us. As they chose to stay close, stay close to the, to, the, to, the, to the shore because the winds were against them. They didn't want to get caught in the wind and lost at sea. Verse 5, and when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing from Italy and put, uh, for Italy and put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Nidus. And as the winds did not allow us to go farther, we sailed under the lee of Crete of Salmone, coasting along it with difficulty. We came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lycia. So here's where they are now. Here's where they are now. In the setting of this story, the author wants you to know one thing. Things are hard. This key critical journey towards Rome, this, this long-anticipated trip, long-anticipated as far as the narrative goes, as far as chapter 1, verse 8 anticipated. This critical thing and desire Paul has had in his heart for years. He spoke about it in chapter 19. That's a long time ago. We're in 27. That's like a third of the book ago. It's, it's not going well. It's kind of about to happen, but it's not going well. Do you notice the number of times it says difficulty? So, so it says in verse 4 that the winds were against them. It's not a good thing. It, it, it says in verse 7 that they arrived with difficulty of Nidus. And then verse 8, coasting along it with difficulty. At the very onset of this journey, this critical journey, you're being told that things are difficult. Well, well, well Paul speaks in verse 9, and things don't get any better. Since much time had passed, and the voyage was now dangerous. See the progression there? If it's a movie, it's not playing the happy background music at this point. Things are not yet at their darkest, but musically starting to change slowly to give you a sense of impending doom. It's, it's moved from dangerous, it's moved from difficult to now dangerous. And, and Paul speaks, and he says it's dangerous because the fast was already over. It's a, it's a Passover day, the Day of Atonement, later on in the year, September, October, roughly, depending on the positioning of the moon. And typically, with sailing, the, the later in the year it got, the more dangerous it got. And, and typically, they would get to a point where they would stop sailing altogether. Because, because there was hurricane seasons, which you guys have here as well, don't you? And the hurricane season, the cyclone seasons were, were later on in the year. So, so they would not be sailing then. And these guys are playing. This is injury time. They're playing with. And they're still on sea when many other boats have actually stopped sailing by this particular point. So, so, so things are not looking good. They're looking dangerous. So Paul advised them, saying, verse 10, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only to the cargo and the ship, but also our lives. So it's difficult. It's dangerous. And now Paul is saying it's going to be deadly. If we keep this up, Someone will die. Verse 11, they don't listen to him. The pilot and the owner of the ship don't listen to Paul. And they decided with the majority, and you know the majority is always right, chapter 12, verse 12, 
the majority decided to put out to sea from there and to go over to Phoenix. So they're in Fair Havens, and they decided to go over to Phoenix. Not too long of a journey, maybe 40 miles. They can do this a day or two by ship. They can make it, but it's a better place to spend winter than Fair Havens is. Verse 13 says, Now when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor. It's a short trip from here to there, Fair Havens to Phoenix. And it's a much better place to spend winter. There's, it's been difficult. It's dangerous. Paul is warning it could be deadly, but we can make the hop. Look, the winds are for us. It's a soft wind, gentle wind. We have obtained our purpose. Let us go. And so they sailed along Crete, close to the shore. But soon, a wind called the Northeaster struck down from land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. The Northeaster is like a cyclone. So winds of up to 100 miles an hour. What had seemed like was a good day to sail, suddenly turned ugly, and they lost control. The idea of being driven along is they are trying to remain close to the shore, but the winds have taken control, and they have been pushed into sea. Do you see how far out they go? They're trying to make this hop right here on this line close to the shore, but they get all the way out into the ocean now. This is missions, guys. The plan was Rome. But decisions have been made that are putting the whole plan at stake on the line. Guys, that's really when the story begins properly. Because from there, things that were difficult and then dangerous and potentially deadly very quickly become desperate. You see what happens here? They start doing absolutely everything and anything to stay afloat. Verse 17, hoisting it up, they used the supports to underguard the ship. They've tied the ship together with rope so it doesn't break apart in the storm. They lowered the gear. They pulled the sails down. They don't want that thing to break, right? Only makes matters worse if the winds are that strong. It's more dangerous for them. So they lower the gear. They, they say in verse 19, it says, and, and on the third day, this trip was already taken long, longer than it was supposed to take. They threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. That's the, 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 the machine they would use to load heavy cargo onto the ship. So to think of something very heavy, which is why it's referring to the fact that they, they, they even used their own hands, like a, a little crane of that time, to toss it overboard, to lighten the ship so that it, it doesn't resist the waves so much and, and it becomes a, 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 a match between the waves and the ship. But rather the ship can become light and hopefully it can be raised up by the waves easily, up and down, so that they might not die, so that the broke might not be shattered to pieces. They are doing everything. They can. 
This is total desperation. Does anybody have any other idea of what we can do so that we might not die? All the veterans have spoken. The captain has spoken. They've done everything in the book. Then it says in verse 20, When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. It was difficult, it was dangerous, it was deadly, it was desperate, and now they're in total despair. Nothing left. I'm struck especially by who is saying this. Who is saying this? Who is speaking right now? The heathen sailors? It's Luke speaking. It's Dr. Luke, the author of the book. Did you notice that? It's very important. It keeps coming in and out of the story in Acts. And here it says, our, our, not their being saved, like one who was writing a story. Was being, no, no, our being saved. Godly man. Adaristarchus inside that. Godly men who were together with Paul, knowing this is a vital, critical journey for missions to go to Rome, and they have no hope left. That little phrase, at last, at last, abandoned. It's pretty dramatic. This is not how the story is supposed to go, people. Missions shouldn't be like this, should it? Shouldn't the story always be things are going great? It's been incredible this year. Nothing but superb updates to tell you. Onward and forward. Wow, this is so good. Instead of you being told that as the narrative is coming to an end, with the most critical journey that there has been thus far, to attain to the goal set by Christ in one sense, as far as the book of Acts is concerned, that what they have faced is nothing but Hardship, that's on the outside. But notice on the inside, that's the climax of the problem. On the inside, the difficulties are discouragement. They are disheartened. And saints, that's way more dangerous than the storms outside. The question isn't so much what has happened. The question is, how are you doing? So I ask you, how are you doing in your following Jesus? How are you doing in the battles of, of remaining as a faithful disciple on the narrow road? How are you doing? The key question, again, is not so much whether you have cancer or not. Whether you have resistance in, in sharing the gospel or not. Or whether parenting the kids is difficult. That's not so much. The question is, is how are you doing with it? Are you still there? Are you still in the battle? Are you still fighting? Or have you given up? The pounding of the waves, what it was doing, in reality, the damage you're assessing is not so much on the ship. The damage the author and Luke himself is assessing is on their hearts. So that at the end of it, it's not an analysis on, actually by the end of it, there was a hole down... Uh-uh. Hope was gone. All hope was abandoned. 
It's important in the work going on and reaching the end. And the enemy is out to get us to quit. And in this case, these supposedly random events and terrible choices by other people, what appears to be purposeless and pointless, utterly meaningless suffering, appears to be, has brought them to this point. It's, it's one thing for me to say, I shared the gospel at work and I got fired. It's another thing to say, they just should have listened to me, and they didn't. We are in this mess, and it was mere common sense that this is a bad time to sail. And it's put everything at risk. Well, let's quickly move forward here and see where this story goes to. The climax is Paul's speech at the very middle here. Paul speaks and he gives us the heart of this conversation. Look at verse 21. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, I told you so. <laughs> Says it in different words. You should have listened to me and not set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. You made a mistake. At no point does it say it was prophecy from God, to be clear. In fact, earlier on, it simply says Paul gave them advice. Paul advised them. All Paul was using was his experience out at sea. 2 Corinthians 11. He'd done this a lot. Basic sailing rules. You don't sail after the fast. All he's using are just basic common sense stuff. This seems unwise, and they did not listen to his good wisdom. And yet, verse 22, I urge you to take heart. So here's what you need to get in case I rush through my remainder of my sermon and you don't get it. You see what the problem is? The problem is not the storm. That's part of it. But the heart of the problem is their discouragement. It's their discouragement. They lost all hope. What is the answer? The answer is addressing that problem. Take heart. Take heart. That's the fight right now. Imagine that. The fight right now for this last leg of the journey is not doing credible things for Jesus. It's take heart. Be encouraged. It will be okay. He says it twice. You notice that? Verse 25. Again, repeats it. 22. I urge you to take heart. If you're looking for application here, take it from Paul. He says it again, verse 25, so take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. Paul has been told twice this message. Right here, he was told in verse 24, do not be afraid, for you must stand before Caesar. It's interesting, isn't it? The mission to Rome has not been lost in all of this. This is 1-8 stuff. It's all about Caesar. It's all about Rome. That's what's really going on here. That's what's really at stake here. And they are being told, you will make it there. I have determined, I have purposed that you will make it there. So on the basis of what God has said, take heart. So to draw your attention to what has happened multiple times, anytime 
they've taken heart. Go, go, go back to the verse I pointed you to, 23.11. 23.11, Paul was in big trouble. He had caused another riot. He causes riots a lot. In 19, where we, we looked at, I think 1926, he had caused another riot there in Ephesus. I was just about to, before he resolved to go to Rome. But in 23.11, it says what? Take courage for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem. You must also testify also in Rome. Then what happens next? It becomes a fairy tale story? No. You have a title in your headings there? What happens after God shows him that in the prison? Forty men swear to kill him. How is this? God, you, like, is there a pause on that? Like, where do you walk? When will you begin, actually, to get me to Rome? Things don't just immediately become good. In fact, things get worse after the promise comes. So Paul in prison is not being asked to take courage because, look, look, even the people like you now. No, in fact, they seem to hate him even more. Some dudes have said they will not eat or drink until he dies, is the news he gets in the morning. Take heart, things get worse. Now they're out at sea. What happens there? Take heart... And yet what follows afterwards is something bad. Do you see that? Yes, skip to verse 29. They're, they're, they're traveling. The ground is nearing. They're measuring the fathoms, how deep the ground is. It starts off with 14. It starts off with 20 fathoms. And then they go a bit further. It's getting lower and lower and lower. So they fear that they're going to run aground. Verse 29. They let down their anchors and they prayed for day to come. Have you ever been in a situation like that? Where the night seems like a whole year? It's night. And the thing they're praying for is what? Just day to come. That's when you're counting the night in milliseconds. You're watching your clock. It's still, it's still 2.31. Now it's two th how, how has it been 2.31 for that long? Seems like it's not moving. It's like the Joshua story that the sun has stood still in the sky. They're desperate. That's what's happening. So here's the point. Their encouragement was not meant to come from their circumstances. No. Their call to be encouraged sometimes was actually followed by things getting worse. Their encouragement was to be sourced from this little phrase. Do not fear. Have faith in God. That's it. Where have you placed your faith? What are you clinging to? What are you holding fast to? Not that things are looking better. Praise the Lord if they are, but don't put your hope there. Circumstances come and go. Put your faith in God, for it will be exactly, that's the phrase Paul uses, as he has been told. You see, that's our job, brothers and sisters, to place our faith in God, to place our faith in God. 
nothing else. For it is this God in the book of Acts who has been displayed as the one who has conquered all. The reason there is confidence that the mission will reach its end is because Jesus rose from the grave. If someone ever asks you why do you have hope in circumstances like this, here's what you should say. Because I believe in the only person who has ever risen from the grave. It's not so much, our pastor said this, or our church says that, or uh, 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 uh. That's what we do from up here. We have anchored it all on the one who rose from the grave. That's the book of Acts. It's all about the resurrection. He rose from the grave. It is done. We can hang our heart on that and go sleep. There's a storm there's troubles. It's not looking like it's working out. We know how the story ends because he rose from the grave. That's the whole point of the book of Acts. And so the, no matter how the story goes, it's like we already peeped at the last chapter. And we saw, ah, he doesn't die. <laughs> so it doesn't matter if he says, and the sword was swung towards his head. You're still smiling. You're like, yeah, I know, I know how it ends. And he was, he's lying down, he looks dead. You're like, I guess he's rising from the grave because I know at the end, he's still alive. I saw him talking to someone. Jesus rose from the grave. The mission will get complete. Put your faith in God. You are safe. You are secure no matter the storm that's going on. So nothing can stop the gospel. Not Sanhedrins or angry mobs or tribunes or proconsuls or kings or hurricanes or snakes in Malta. Nothing in heaven or earth, demons or angels, visible or invisible. We in all circumstances can put our faith in God. We can take courage on the basis of his promises. His precious promises. His promise to always, now and forever, be by your side. He will never leave you alone. He has said that. So you know that. Cling to that reality. He, said, he will not break that promise. He has not lied to you. He is right there beside you. His promise that he will work all things out, including that thing, for your good. His promise to hold you fast. No one can snatch you out of his hand. His promise that your greatest enemy, sin, death, and the devil will not conquer you. No, in Christ we are more than conquerors. His promise to pray for you when you do not know how to pray for yourself. His promise that everything you lose in this world for his namesake will be repaid a hundredfold in this world and in the world to come eternal life. His promise that your light and momentary affliction is working for you eternal glory. His promise that even if they kill you, not a hair on your head will be hurt. His promise that he has prepared a place for you. His promise that he will hear every one of your prayers. His promise that he will wipe Every one of your tears. His promise that he is coming back again. The king will return. His promise to clothe you in glory and splendor. His promise that you will spend endless of days in his presence. His promise that he will not deny you on the last day. On the basis of this, take courage. Take courage. That is what you put your hope in. 
even when it feels like everything else is falling apart. The one who has called you to follow him will not abandon you. Would you just notice briefly how the story then wraps up? The land is drawing closer, but then they get stuck in verse 41. The front, the, the, the bow is stuck, that's the front of the boat, and the back is being hit. They can die again. This is how the story keeps going. Do you notice what comes just before that? When they got encouraged, remember, they got encouraged, things got bad. Paul stands up to encourage them to eat some food. That's going down in verse 34. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair from your head will perish. Verse 36, and they got encouraged, and things got worse again. Let's read the pattern here. Because from verse 39 to the end, they're almost dying. Look at verse 42. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners. It's like finally when the sailors get encouraged, then they're about to die now. So what we've been trying to do, all hope of our being saved was lost. Paul gives a speech. Things get worse. Paul gives a speech. They get encouraged. Things get worse again. Anytime there's a little encouragement, things get worse. Take courage. Things get worse. But the soldier, but, but the centurion, verse 43, saves them. The guy who liked Paul. That's how the mission got saved. Julius liked Paul. God is in every detail. He is controlling absolutely everything. The winds that have tossed them into the middle of the sea, they providentially blow them to just the right island, Malta, which luckily did not happen to have cannibals. Instead, happened to have some very kind people. They lit a fire for them, and they warmed themselves, and they fed them. And it also just so happened to be the one that had a ship that was headed to Italy. In fact, the winds that blew them, that almost killed them, actually got them way closer to their destination than they would have been. It seemed all chaotic and out of control, but God was at work in every single detail. Emphasis, why do you have hope? Not because of circumstances. What goes down in Malta? Paul is bitten by a snake. You remember that story? Paul is bitten by a snake. And what do the people say? When he's bitten by a snake, says this in verse, chapter 28 and verse 3. Look at verse 4. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. How do they know that? Because God said that? External circumstances. What happens next? Here's what I found. No, I don't know what you found. <laughs> he, however, was five, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. And they were waiting for him to swell up and suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds. And they said that he was a god. That's not how Christians act. We most probably shouldn't do this. But the day looks nice. Maybe God's favor is upon us. Let's do it. Circumstances. Circumstances. Ah, 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 ah. 
He's been bitten by a snake. That's a sign. Maybe he's a murderer. You saw what happened in his life? Oh, he did not die. Maybe he's a god. That's believe. They anchor their hope in what God has said. We, we did a church plant. It really worked out great. It's full of people. God must have been in it. Amen? We did a church plant. It's been horrible. It's been so hard. We've had nothing but challenges. That's evidence, right? Right? That's evidence. God is not in this. God is not in this. Is that how we act? Things are going great at work. Must be because of my devotions. I've been pretty diligent the last couple of weeks. My boss was mean with me. I hit my little toe on the table. It must be because last week on Tuesday, you know, I ran past that red light. <laughs> which you shouldn't be doing. I know how recovering fundamentalists think. <laughs> Assessing signs in every single place to, add, to know is God for you or is God... No, 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 no. He who saved you has risen from the grave. Your life is safe and it's secure in him. This is how the story ends. Last line, Paul gets to Rome and look at verse 15. And when the brothers who met them there, Putueoli, which is at the very end in Italy, when they heard that he came as far as the, they came as far as the forum of Appius, one of the three towers to meet us, on seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. It's been the whole point. 2311, prison, take courage. In the middle of the ocean, when things were bad, take courage. And when he landed in Rome, he took courage. Do not underestimate how important how you are doing is. What things are you telling yourself this morning? Are you believing lies? Are you believing lies? Has the enemy or has your heart caused you to turn your eyes away from God? And maybe you've been over-focused with just how life is going and not so much how your soul is doing? You've been given a much surer foundation upon which to build your Christian life. And it is not the circumstances, the ever-changing circumstances of your life. It is what Christ has done. Amen.